them because it looks like they're doing yoga and I just love it. Um, Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to the podcast that knows that even lesser apes are still pretty great, the Rasafari Podcast. I'm endlessly amused by how certain words can have multiple meanings, and lesser is one that has come up repeatedly on this podcast. Colleen Adams felt the need to remind everyone that tamanduas are also known as lesser anteaters because of their size, not because they are any less cool or important. Dr. Stephen Wallace mentioned that when he referred to red pandas as lesser pandas, he got booed, despite it being in a talk to a bunch of professionals who work with red pandas. And now I'm bringing you Heather Hammond Wood, a keeper at the Indianapolis Zoo who works with lesser apes and who wants everyone to remember that they are only lesser in size, not in their level of awesomeness. Speaking of levels of awesomeness... Yep, I still love a bad transition. Don't forget to check out patreon.com slash rasafari to support the podcast. There are different levels of support there, starting at $3 a month, and each level has a bunch of awesomeness that you'll get as a patron. Also, don't forget to check out at rasafari on Instagram and Facebook, rasafari.com for a website about rasafari, and rasafari.redbubble.com for merch. Also, please leave a five-star review for the podcast so I can stop pestering you all about it. And speaking of pests, yep, I did it again. Another bad transition. My conversation with Heather deals with some really unique primates that live at the Indianapolis Zoo, including a family group of long-tailed macaques, an incredibly rare animal in AZA facilities. These animals are known as a pest species in their native Southeast Asia, and are also often used in medical testing. They are just one of many cool species you'll hear about in this interview that also touches on lemurs and on Heather's favorite, gibbons. So stay tuned to learn which species could be described as cuddle monkeys as I bring you my interview with Heather Hammond Wood of the Indianapolis Zoo. All right. Hello. So, Heather, how are you? I'm fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. Uh, okay. Well, my name is Heather Hammond Wood. Um, I am a primate keeper at the Indianapolis Zoo. Um, so I primarily take care of um, our smaller primates. I do ring-tailed lemurs. I do white-handed gibbons. We have long-tailed macaques and guinea baboons. Uh, but I also am cross-trained in the orangutan building as well. So I do get a little bit of great ape time. Nice. Very cool. All right. So you're at the Indianapolis Zoo. Correct. And you have been there for your whole keeping career? I have. That's yeah. pretty rare. How long have you been there? It is. Um, well, I started as an intern in 2012. Um, and then it's the summer of 2013. I got a seasonal position. I worked in the planes department with giraffes and rhinos and um, gazelles and a couple bird species. And then once that was done, I applied for a primate position and the rest is history. So I've been there. Ooh, it'll be seven years this November. 
That's okay. awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so why, why primates? Well, interestingly enough, I did not want to do primates originally. Um, I'm actually from Florida and I wanted to work with marine mammals. That was my whole, what got me into working with animals to begin with. Um, I volunteered at a local aquarium near my house um, in high school. And then I went back after college and started doing stuff with their uh, animal care and dolphins. And someone told me about the Indie Zoo internship program. Uh, Also, my husband was living here in Indianapolis. So it kind of seemed like um, an obvious choice to apply. So I applied for the Marine Mammal Internship at Indy and a couple of places in Florida. And Indy got back to me first. So I packed everything up. I moved to Indianapolis. And the rest is kind of history. I I started out as a Marine Mammal Intern, but then it sort of just evolved. Um, So primates wasn't necessarily my first choice. But now that I've been with them for so long, like I can't imagine not working with them. Like they are incredible animals and you would never know it unless you, I don't know, you just, I don't know. They're so intelligent. They're so intelligent and curious and I just love them so much now. That's so awesome. I totally get that. One of the fun journeys that I've been on with this podcast is um, I quickly realized that I can't just do red pandas every week or it will become very repetitive. <laughs> and so um, I've been yep. talking to uh, two two of the groups that I would say cared about the least as far as just enjoying them. I know they're important and conservation is great mm-hmm. and all that stuff, but we're primates and birds. And I have been surrounding myself with primate mm-hmm. and bird keepers lately, and I am falling in love. Yep. Um, I was just down at, at Zoo Knoxville, and okay. I was doing an interview with their great apes keeper, Tiffany. I think it'll actually be out this week. And um, even though it was like through the glass and stuff, I got to go and play with one of her chimps, and it was like chasing mm-hmm. my foot. And she was telling me the stories about how you know she interacts with them all and stuff, and I... I was so in love. I was so completely in love. And yes. um, yeah, and the same thing's happening with birds right now. So it's it's really been a fun journey to to discover that the, the parts of the zoo that I would, you know, kind of traipse through quickly or whatever, I'm now like, oh my gosh, these things are incredible. It's so yeah, totally get that. Definitely. Yeah, I know doing that uh, seasonal position definitely opened my eyes because it was, I had been marine mammal, marine mammal, marine mammal my whole life. Um and then I was suddenly thrown into like hoofstock and rhino, and it was a complete change. Um, so it, took, it was a lot of adjustment on my part to kind of get over the fact that it's not marine mammal. It is, you know, that these animals are also very important. And I just, I fell in love. And ever since then, like any animal that I have worked with, because it's not just primates that I've worked with. I started out with like a hodgepodge for a little while. Um, I just have a deep love for like every single animal that I have ever worked with. It's amazing. Yeah. Getting hands on with an animal is, is really, mm-hmm. it's life changing and, and getting to do the pod, same thing. I've gotten to go behind the scenes mm-hmm. with so many animals. Now I recently fed a couple of lemurs and oh my, oh, my heart. Mm-hmm. oh my heart. Oh my heart. It just, <laughs> I was the happiest <laughs> human. And, and the funniest thing was I had literally just left hanging out with the red panda who I have a bit of a history with. And okay. after that, um, I was at the good zoo and, and, uh, their director was like, Hey, do you want to go meet some lemurs? And I, I will never say no. But at the same right. time I was like, I, I was on cloud nine. 
I was mm-hmm. I, nothing could be better than meeting a you know seeing this red panda again. And then when I got in that room, I, I literally forgot everything that happened beforehand. And I was with these cute little lemurs, mm-hmm. and they were taking food out of my hands. And I just yeah, like I said, it just melted me, despite the fact that even I was thinking, oh, this isn't gonna this is this is gonna be a letdown after hanging out with with my favorites. <laughs> but no, no, they just got right up in that heart of mine. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. So let's talk about some of these animals that have your heart. And I know you said you Mm -hmm. wanted to start off by talking about your, your Lar gibbons, also known as uh, white handed gibbons. Mm -hmm. So, so tell me about this species. Okay. So Lar gibbons or white handed gibbons are considered a lesser ape um, only because of their size. They are not lesser in any (laughs) other way because they are fantastic, Um, (laughs) but they are very small um, they're often um, confused with monkeys um, because of their size, um, but they don't have tails, which is really the main difference or not the main difference, but, you know, the main um, physical difference, I guess, between apes and monkeys. Um, but they are they're just incredible animals. They they are animals that they spend all their time up in the trees they um, have a way of moving around that's called brachiation. So they have these really long arms, they have these really long fingers, and they use that to move through the trees and they can go up to like 35 miles per hour. It's kind of amazing to watch them um, kind of zoom around the exhibit. Um, it's, it's very cool. Um, but and, yeah, there. What does that look like? Exactly. You said it's called brachiation, right? Brachiation is like a hand over hand. So they just swing from hand over hand um, through their exhibit. Um, They don't spend a lot of time on the ground. Um, And when they do, they are the only ape that's bipedal. So they're not going to walk around on all fours. They actually hold their hands out kind of like they're on a tightrope. It's really awkward and funny to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're they're just amazing. Very cool. And um, I've seen these guys a lot uh, in, in zoos. I know they're pretty common in captivity. Um, and mm-hmm. I know that there are the very white ones and the very black ones. Is that sexual dimorphism or are there, um, you know, is it is it not that? Is it something else? Okay. So different given species actually exhibit different kind of colorations. Uh, for white-handed gibbons, the color of their hair does not determine uh, their sex. Um, they can be any color between like blonde or black. So they can even be kind of like a gray or maybe like a light brown. Um, however, in like white-cheeked gibbons or buff-cheeked gibbons, they are sexually dimorphic. So they do have, um, they are color specific. So I believe it's the females that are blonde and the males are black. Um, and then when the babies are born, they're born blonde. So they uh, blend in with the mom and they turn color, um, around, Ooh, I don't work with them. So I think it's about two that they start to change color to black. And then if they are male, they stay black. If they're female, then they will actually turn back to blonde. Interesting. Um, It is very interesting. So it kind of just depends on the species of gibbon, but white handed does not exhibit that. Um, but also white handed gibbons, um, they are, they have the white hands, they have white feet, and then they also have a white ring around their face. So that is a big indicator of a white-handed gibbon as well. 
Cool. Um, well, now I know why they're called white-handed gibbons, but uh, where does the term largibbons come from? Do you know? It's just from their scientific name. So their scientific name is Hilo, I think it's pronounced Hylobates lar. And that's, that just comes from the lar part of the scientific name. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. I know there are a bunch of, um, is it different species or subspecies of gibbons? Species. species? There are okay. over a dozen. Um I was just looking it up before I got on here to make sure they had the right amount, but there's so every website has a different number of species. Um, but I know that there have been a, a, at least one new species um, that they found like three years ago, and they named it the like Skywalker Hulot Gibbon or whatever, it's like the Star Wars Gibbon. <laughs> so I know that the numbers are a little jumbled. So I've seen anywhere from 16 to 19 species. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I I find, I say this a lot on the podcast, I'm repeating myself, but taxonomy is just so weird. It's very um, weird. Yeah, and I know it's because we're constantly learning new things as well as discovering new things. I get it. Yeah. But um, I just find it so strange. And yes. the more I learn about it, the the less confident I am in any of it. But I also realize it doesn't really matter other than for how we see things. It's not like animals care about what subspecies they are or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, since you love gibbons so much, why don't you Mm -hmm. tell me about a couple of your gibbons? So um, gibbons, um, they typically hang out in family units. So we have one little family unit. we have the dad, his name is Elliot, and he is blonde. So if you come to Indy Zoo, um, look for the blonde one. His name is Elliot. And then the black one is, her name is Coco, and she is the mom. And then we have a little baby. Well, more of a toddler now, I suppose. She's a year and a half now, but I still consider her my little baby. Uh, her name is Kavi, and she's also black. So hopefully, I mean, you'll be able to tell size-wise if you come and visit them. Um, they are just so special. Um, Elliot was hand-raised, so he is kind of always uh, front and center of the exhibit. Um, people know him by name. I can't. I, I have so many guests and visitors that come up to me, and if the Gibbons aren't out, they will ask me, where's Elliot? Where's Elliot? Where's Elliot? Like, they love him. He has a little fan club. There are people that will sit out front of the exhibit and will sing to him. And (laughs) they think that he is their best friend because he just, he is always hanging out, watching people. Um, So he is, because he was hand raised, he's definitely more uh, curious about people. Um, Definitely wants to see what you're doing, make sure that you're not encroaching on his territory. Um, and then Coco, she's a lot more subdued. She'll usually hang back a little bit more. She's a little harder to read sometimes. Um, so in terms of training, she's been are kind of difficult, more stubborn given. So it's, it's a lot more rewarding when she actually does things that you ask her to do. Um, and then Kavi is a little spitfire right now. She is kind of crazy. She's all over the exhibit. She's starting to play with Elliot a little bit more. And yeah, they're, they're so much fun to watch. They're always, they're constantly grooming together and hanging out together. And yeah, they're great. That's awesome. What, um, what do you feed them? We feed them, um, mostly vegetables. 
um, a wide variety of vegetables. So anywhere from like onions to corn to broccoli, everything. Um, and then they get um, like canned Zupreme. It's a primate gel that comes in a can. Um, and then they get uh, monkey biscuits. Uh, they get, um, oh, which kind of they get? Growth and repro biscuits. Um, and then we give them a bunch of different types of enrichment. So they can get popcorn, pasta, raisins, all kinds of different things, applesauce. Um, but they definitely love their fruit. So that's part of their enrichment and like training portion of their diet. We don't give that to them every single day unless we're doing training. Um, but they love grapes and bananas. Like that's, they go crazy for those things. That's awesome. I'm curious, are they protected contact or free contact? They are protected contact. Okay. Okay. Yep. We only, we only do protected contact, um, with them just to give them their space, but also they have gigantic canine teeth. Um, so I would not feel comfortable, uh, entering a space with them. So. Cool. Okay. So what kind of training do you do with them? Uh, mostly just husbandry behaviors, anything that's going to help us help them with their own care, if that makes sense. Um, so we've been working a lot with, um, our male on injection training. That way we don't have to, um, use like our little squeeze restraint that we have. Um, it's a lot more or a lot less stressful on him is a lot less stressful on us. So we've been really working with him on that because he actually lets us touch him. Uh, Coco does not. So we're having to find different ways to work around her. And now we're trying to get Kavi also a little bit more comfortable with touching and that sort of thing so that we can hopefully do injection training with her as well. Um, but we also have been working on scale training so we can get regular weights on them. Um, and then Elliot does a lot of uh, body presents. So we can touch his feet, touch his head, touch his shoulders, touch his arms. So he's, I think it's the hand rearing uh, part that is really helpful with him versus Coco, who is mother raised and she just wants nothing to do with us at all. <laughs> that makes sense. So what would you do if there was a, um, you know, let's say there's a, a medical issue that you notice on Coco and obviously you mm -hmm. can't get hands on with her right away. So how would you go about handling that situation? Um, we do have a training shoot that she can go in that has a squeeze built in. Uh, so in any event, we can at least get her in there um, and squeeze her down for an injection. So that's, um, that's pretty standard in a lot of um, areas because a lot of animals don't want to be hands-on. Right, right. Um, we have worked, we have worked tirelessly with her to try and let her let us touch and she will, she just will not like you even put your hand close to where her hand is and she flinches and runs away. <laughs> it, is, it has been a struggle since the beginning. So <sighs> yeah, no, makes sense. And it's cool that yeah. you guys have still found a way to, um, you know, take care of her when necessary. That's, that's yes. a good thing. But I yes. also love that, you know, you're willing to respect her, um, lack of consent to being touched. I wish uh, more humans were willing to be that way with, you know, other people <laughs> and such too, but that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 But um, cool. <laughs> Anything else you want to tell me about your, your given friends before we move on to some other animals? Um, well, so the, I guess the first thing 
that I ever noticed about the Gibbons, and I should have talked about this sooner. Um, when I was an intern and I remember walking around the zoo, I could hear those Gibbons from anywhere in the zoo. They have the coolest call, I think, of any animal I have ever heard in my life. Um, it's like this whooping sound and every gibbon is a little different, um, but it is just spectacular to hear. And Coco makes this really awesome, great call. Um, and it literally sounds like a siren going off. Wow. It is the coolest thing. So I think that is something that is very specific to gibbons is that they do, they sing to each other um, and they sing with each other and it strengthens the bond between the mating pair um, in the family unit. And then it also for the males can serve as a way to um, kind of determine his territory and fend off any other, you know, male givens. So when guests do come up to the exhibit and start singing to him, a lot of times he will start singing. Hey guys, time for a quick interrupting John. Uh, I wanted you to hear what a gibbon or two sound like when they're singing. So here is that. Animals are so cool. Okay, back to the interview. And I think that a lot of people unfortunately think that he is being friendly and he's really just trying to defend his territory. Yeah. yeah, Makes sense. It's the same as like when gorillas smile and stuff, you know, sometimes. Yeah. No. Yeah. We, uh, we tend to anthropomorphize a lot and it's a problem, but, uh, it definitely is. I think zoos are doing a better job of, of educating people on that and keeper talks and stuff really help with that. So that's, yeah, that's Mm -hmm. fair. Um, so when they sing, am I remembering correctly mm-hmm. that gibbons, like their, their throats pouch out or am I thinking so of a different species? You're thinking of the signing, which is Ooh. a gibbon species. Oh, okay. That cool, is a cool. gibbon species. Okay. Yes. That is, that is one of them, but it's just the signing that has that. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. The rest of them, I, to my knowledge, do not have that, but, um, and I'm pretty positive it's just the signing. Gotcha. Um, I, I remember, I don't even remember what zoo I was at, but, but there were some Simangs going off and Mm -hmm. I was determined to find it while the call was still happening. And it was literally like the entire length of the zoo away, but it sounded like it was right next to me because those guys are so loud. Are your Gibbons Mm -hmm. the same way? Yes. Yes. I will be clear across the zoo and can hear them going off. It is, (laughs) it's so impressive. And like if they were in the forest, you'd be able to hear them for miles. That's... They're so loud, and it's it's my one of my absolute favorite things in the whole world is just listening to them sing and interact with each other, and yeah. That's so cool, and I love how, I think it's so cool that they can use it, you know, to defend their territory in one minute, but also to bond with family the next minute and stuff like that. That's just, that's just really cool. I dig that. Yeah. Um, yep. So, all right, so tell me about uh, your ringtail, lemurs. When I was there... There was a baby, and I think oh. that was about a year, a year and a half ago now. I want to say about a year ago. Okay, yep. We so. would have had, I want to oh, we have four babies last okay. year. Um, two sets of twins. Um, they're all grown up now. Um, we actually have just recently shipped a few out because we had 14 lemurs at one time. 
That Actually, is a lot of lemurs. Yes, we had 14. And yes, it was it was just way too many. We had to maintain two separate groupings because it got a little too big. And uh, when you have too many females, then you can run into some issues um, with dominance and uh, which female wants to be the dominant one. And so we did have to split our groups for some time. And then we shipped a few boys out um, about this time last year. Um, and then we just shipped a few girls out this summer. So now we're down to eight, which is a much more manageable number. And they're all in one group now. And they're doing really well. Very so, cool. And, uh, yeah. you know, for people who are listening for the first time, we talk about this a lot. But when you say mm-hmm. you ship them out uh, to a new listener, someone who doesn't know zoos, that might sound a little harsh. <laughs> yes. So what we're talking about here is SSP approved. Correct. The um, Association of Zoos and Aquariums looks at the um, uh, what's what I'm looking for genetics and sends them out for for breeding or or sometimes just to holding facilities that can handle them without breeding but it's all done in a very scientific and and logical way um yes and actually our girls our girls went to a facility to to be a new exhibit so they are starting a new lemur exhibit at the facility that they went to awesome where'd they Um, go i think they went to lee richardson zoo in Garden City. So tell me about your uh, your current family of lemurs. Um, so we have a, oh my gosh, we have eight lemurs. We have um, five females, three males. Um, lemurs are very challenging. Um, they're very cute, but the females are the ones that are in charge. So we get a lot of, uh, aggression between females. Um, they like to just terrorize the males. Um, (laughs) when we first introduced the two groups together, um, we had a group of four females and then we had, uh, the three males and a very young female that was born last year. So the intros went pretty well, but the, the more dominant females definitely made it known that they are in charge. Um, but they are, they're doing really, really great. Um, yeah, they're, they're awesome. And, um, are they, no, yeah, that, that awesome is a great description. Are, and those guys are not protected contact, right? Um, so technically, no, we do have one individual that's exhibiting more aggressive behavior at the moment. So we have put her as protected contact. So we just have to um, deal with the shifting and making sure that we don't go in with that one individual. Um, We're hoping that she grows out of it. She's uh, I think she just turned two this year. We're not really sure why, but she just started to exhibit some aggression um, that we were not used to. Um, But everyone else, yeah, we go in with them. Um, We we actually started a paint program with our lemurs. So now oh, nice. we do paintings on exhibit um, and we do daily chats as well with them. Um, so it's really fun. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch. They, um, one of the coolest things I think, uh, or one of the things I love about them is that they do that um, sun worshiping. I don't know if you've ever seen them yes, in yes. the zoos, but I, I love working out. So like, any like little yoga pose. I just, I think it's the cutest thing. Um, cause it looks like they're doing yoga and I just love it. Um, 
but they are very sweet. Um, they all have their different personalities, just like any primate, which I just, that's, I think that's one thing that I really, really, truly love about working with primates is every single one of them is completely, completely different. And you just, yeah, you just never know what's going to happen every single day. It's, it's amazing. That's awesome. What, uh, do we know why they do, uh, do their yoga pose? So they, they always, uh, direct it into the sun. So they're just trying to soak in the sun. So it's, you're really going to see it on the days. It's like not super cold. It's maybe a little bit chilly and they're definitely going to be out like soaking up that sun. So it's definitely, yeah. Makes sense. And while, while I'm asking you questions that you get a concerned look on when I start to ask them, um, (laughs) (laughs) what, uh, why are their tails ringed? Do we know? Do we know what advantage that gives them? Well, they use their tails uh, in the wild as kind of like a flag because they live in these big troops. They can live into troops up to like, I believe it's about 30 individuals. Um, and not all lemur species are like that. So they definitely, they use those tails as a way to uh, keep the groups together. They'll hold them up and walk around with them. Um, so yeah, that's... I. I mean, that would be an advantage for them uh, to stick together. Yeah, no, yeah. makes sense. There are certain traits that I've just found that I like in animals, and ringed tails is one of them, and ear tufts is another one. And That's, I don't know, there are just certain <laughs> things that I'm just like, oh, okay, I like you. Binturongs and caracals, I like your ear tufts, and obviously oh, ringed yes. tails are a, a favorite of mine. So, yes. yeah, very cool. Absolutely. Are there any, like, favorite lemurs that you want to give a shout out to and tell me about their personality a little bit? Oh, I, my, so I have two, I guess, because, um, they're actually the two that I've left from when I first started working seven years ago. Um, one, uh, her name is Sheridan. Um, she is just fantastic. She has a little spunky side. Um, so you do have to be sometimes a little bit careful around her. Um, but training wise, she is a rock star. She is very food motivated. She loves to train. She loves to to do anything that you ask her to do. Um, but she's also just very, she has a very sweet personality too. I just, I adore her. Um, and then there's Riley, um, who, when she was a year old, um, she actually came down with an illness, um, that we believe it was toxoplasmosis, maybe a version of it. Um, and it affected her vascularly. So she ended up throwing a blood clot in her tail And it became necrotic and they had to amputate part of her tail. Most of it actually. Um, so she actually has a little bob tail now and it is literally the cutest thing ever. She is now our dominant female. Um, she is our biggest lady. She's, she is quite a a chunky little girl. We, we put them on a diet, but since she's dominant, she just eats whatever she wants. So she's definitely, um, a little larger than the rest of them. Um, but I think because she, she went through a really, really rough, uh, time when she was a year old, like we, we almost lost her. Um, so it's just kind of incredible to see how far she's come from being, you know, definitely more of a subordinate animal. And then she got very sick and then she came out of that and is now, you know, flourishing as this dominant individual in the group. And, yeah, she's adorable. She, if you want to see ear tufts, Miss Riley has 
the cutest ear tufts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. She is adorable. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that so much. Yeah. Oh, lemurs. Lemurs are so cool. Have you ever been to or heard of the Duke Lemur Center? Oh, have I heard of the Duke Lemur Center? <laughs> of course I've heard of the Duke Lemur Center. And I it is on my bucket list of places to visit. Um, I, I, lemurs and gibbons, I must say, because again, I started working at the zoo seven years ago. Those groups of animals are the ones that I've had throughout my career. So I have definitely more of an affinity for them. And, and not that I don't love every other animal I work with, but they just kind of hold this extra special place in my heart because there's only like four animals that I work with now that have been with me that my entire career. Um, so lemurs and gibbons are just, they are my world. <laughs> that's, that's so cool, man, to have animals your whole career from right when you started off. That's so rare mm -hmm. because keepers don't get to stay in one place very often. That's so true. that's mm -hmm. really, I don't think, I can't think of a time that I've heard about someone who's had, you know, someone maybe from when they first get to an institution for right. years, but, but not from like, oh, hey, I'm starting this thing and y'all are here mm -hmm. with me. That's really special. Yeah. Very cool. So tell me about guinea baboons, because I know nothing about this species. Yes, they're also fairly new to me as well. We just, um, I don't want to say acquired them because that sounds a little weird, um, but we we just kind of took them over. Um, our zoo is, right now it's um, sectioned into uh, different biomes. So we have like the forest biome, we have the plains biome, we have oceans, um, but they are now starting to split the keepers into uh, more species specific. So when I first started, we they had started really pushing the primates to be their own uh, own section um, rather than the primates being looped in with like the forest, if that makes sense. So uh, about two years ago, we took over for the baboons um, from the plains area because they are located in the plains department, but now we take care of them. Um, but they are found primarily in, uh, Guinea in Africa and they're moving away from the Guinea baboon species in zoos and pushing more for Hamadryas and other different species of baboons. So we are one of two institutions that house Guinea baboons. Guinea baboons are uh, like a new favorite of mine now. I never, not that you know, they didn't seem interesting to me or whatever, because I love all primates. But um, again, when you start working with an animal and they start exhibiting these amazing personalities, you're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how amazing this animal is. Um, so I've just, you know, fallen in love with these monkeys. We, we have um, four males. Um, that's all we have right now. Um, we because of housing arrangements, we actually sent uh, three of our females to Kansas City because they we had kind of a a very male heavy grouping. We had eight at one point, and uh, five of those were male. And in the baboon world, that's that's way too many males. Um, the males were fighting over 
uh, access to the females. So we ended up sending our females to Kansas City. They only had, I believe, one male and one female. So it was a better ratio. Um, and then we decided to manage a bachelor grouping. And when you remove those females, a lot of that aggression dissipates because there's no more competition for females because they're not there anymore. Um, so we are now down to four males and it's, they get along great. It's a dad. So we have an older male, uh, his name is Bialik. And then we have his sons. So it's dad and all of his, his sons. Um, so yeah, they're doing great. That's really cool. And they can live a fairly long time, right? Yeah. So I believe Bialik is in his late twenties, so they can get late twenties, early thirties. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And the rest of them are in their teen, teen years. So we've, we've got quite a bit of time with them. That's cool. That's very cool. And I'm curious when you're dealing with primates, um, Mm -hmm. because, uh, you are also a primate and (laughs) even though they are males, uh, like all just males there, you are a female. Um, Mm -hmm. do you ever encounter any weirdness, like competition for you? And I don't even mean like in terms Mm -hmm. of like mating or anything, but just like, I don't know, paying attention. I mean, I know that primates flirt, you know, to some extent and stuff like that. I'm wondering if that's ever a thing that you encounter with, with the gibbons or any, I mean, I'm sorry, with the, uh, the Guinea baboons or, uh, with, with anyone really. Um, I wouldn't say with any of our smaller primates, I do not notice that, um, in the great apes. Yes, there are definitely preferences. And I mean, you can definitely tell (laughs) when a great ape is excited to see you. Um, but I, I really don't notice it in any of our other um, primates. Now, not that they're not excited to see you, um, but not necessarily in that way. Sure, sure. No, I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. I just, yeah. I, I know that I had heard of things with like apes, you know, great apes and stuff. Oh, yeah. like this, so I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> yeah. Definitely in the great apes. <laughs> you see that a lot more. <laughs> Are you telling me that you're leading your apes on? Is that do we need to have a no. chat, young lady? No. <laughs> <laughs> What's funny is I don't I don't work um, as much in that area, so I don't have as much of like that kind of relationship with really any of our great apes. So no, it makes sense. I was just I was just <laughs> curious. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, but with the with the gay baboons, there are there is. Um, they have a social hierarchy within the the males. So we do see um, just very little social cues where you're trying to work with one animal and they kind of like, they're, they're not focused on you because they're constantly looking around to see who's around them and if it's okay for them to come over to you. So I almost have the opposite problem. Like I need them to come over to me and I need them to interact with me. But they're like, this individual is staring at me from across the room. I can't move. Or they'll come up to the mesh and you have something really great, but they ignore you. They literally will just sit there and they, it's like you don't even exist. And you're like, hello, can you please take this? But because there's an individual that's sitting close by that is more dominant, they they just can't take anything or they'll get in trouble. So basically they're middle school boys is what you're telling me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Entirely pretty much. watching each other for cues and hoping to not get beat up. And yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, basically, basically. <laughs> yeah. Monkeys, monkeys are 
very interesting socially. It's it's very cool to kind of watch. Um, and I don't know, it's fun to, to see who's keeping an eye on who. And then, I mean, we see it a lot with our long-tailed macaques too, where they they pick up on what we want them to do, but like they kind of have to survey the room first. You see their eyes moving around. They're like, can I do this right now? Who is watching me? And then if they feel that there's like a moment or an opportunity that they can run over to, they will take it. And it's like, they know exactly what I want them to do, but they have to like survey first and then they'll run over. For everyone listening, I just want you to know that I wish this was a video podcast because Heather did a full-on impression of her macaques looking around with her hands up in the air and her eyes getting really big. And oh, I just, I wish you all could see what I just saw. That was, you are quite I mean, the actress. It's true. Thank you. <laughs> oh. Thank you. <laughs> but that was such a great segue because I was just going to ask you to tell me about your long-tailed macaques. So, yeah. yeah. So, macaques. So, for the long-tailed macaques. I'm saying Sorry. that wrong. I was saying macaques, but it's macaques, isn't it? It's macaques. Cool. Yes. All right. We, we actually get a lot of questions on how to pronounce macaques. So, anytime I'm out in front of the exhibit, everyone asks, how do you pronounce that? I'll get like macaque, 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 macaque. Like everyone has a different pronunciation. So I get it. It's it's a very strange spelling. Um, but yeah. So we have long-tailed macaques. They're also known as crab-eating macaques. Um, if I'm correct, and I think I am, we are the only AZA institution that houses this species of macaque. Um, they are found in Asia and they're actually considered over there like a pest species. Um, so they're really, there's, they're not, they are found in abundance over in India and like in, in Asia. And so for us to have them is kind of, a, it's, it's really cool. Um, but we also, we got them from a facility um, that, breeds monkeys for labs. So these, these are not lab monkeys, um, but they came to us from a facility that breeds monkeys for research. Um, so all of our monkeys actually have little tattoos on their chest and on their inner thigh. And you're going to see that on exhibit. Um, that's something that we have been open about from the beginning. Um, when we got them, we got 29 all at once. That is so many. So many monkeys <laughs> all at once. So honestly, the the tattoo aspect was a godsend because that was the only way that we could tell them apart until we could learn every single one of them and right. put a name with every single one of them because they didn't have names. They just had numbers. Um, so it was a very... It was a very interesting time period when we received all of these monkeys. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't believe that any other zoo has this species of monkey. Um, this is not, um, uh, we don't have like an SSP for these monkeys. Um, but we have them in order to explain better about pest species in the United States as well. So our exhibit is called Sharing One World and in chats and stuff, they talk about how we can better 
uh, serve like raccoons and different pest species in urban areas because we've obviously encroached on a lot of their space. So that's kind of the tie-in that we wanted to talk about with these monkeys. But also um, we designed, well, didn't really design the exhibit. We repurposed uh, our polar bear exhibit and the polar bear exhibit has a big pool in it. And these monkeys are known to swim. Um, so that was the whole kind of draw to, to explore getting this uh, specific species of monkey. Um, however, pool's a bit deep. So they have yet to explore the pool themselves. Uh, they will swim in like little, um, we have like these little troughs or these uh, utility tubs, like really big ones. Um, and I've actually got video of one cannonballing into one of them. <laughs> it's awesome. That's they awesome. love, they do love to swim, but I think our pool right now is just a little bit too deep and big and scary. So they're a little more apprehensive to want to swim in it, but they do, they do legitimately like to swim. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of, yeah, these monkeys are insane. <laughs> so cool. So take, take me through that though. You like mm-hmm. how much advance notice did you guys have that you were getting 29 of a, <laughs> a species that is not in zoos? How much mm-hmm. prep time did you get? How much behind the scenes work did you have to do? How crazy was that time for you? Um, so we had hmm, at least a year, I believe, because they started um, retrofitting the exhibit and the mostly the holding, I guess they start retrofitting the holding space um, prior to them arriving. And then once they arrived, that's when they really started working on the exhibit outside. Um, so we had quite a bit of time to really look at the old, cause it was a polar bear holding and a polar bear exhibit. So it was an open air holding space there was no central air, no heat, no nothing in it. So they had to completely redo the inside. Um, so they actually have a lot of space because there were four giant polar bear pens in there. And now they're just four giant rooms for monkeys. Um, uh, but we, we were a part of the design process pretty much from the beginning, which was really cool. We could go in and say, Hey, we would like platforms here, here, and here. We want these like metal pegs here, here, and here. Um, so that was a really cool project to kind of undertake, um, hanging propping for them before they arrived and then being there the day that they arrived and, and seeing them all come out and, Oh, they're so cute. They, they were all, um, shipped individually. And as soon as they were all put back together, one thing that they do when they're kind of scared or they don't know what's going on they run up to each other and like embrace they hug really really tight it's it's so so sweet and so cute and there'll be like five of them like all hugging each other like oh actors do the same thing so i get it (laughs) oh i bet (laughs) that is awesome i love that they've got a giant exhibit it is huge i don't know if you've been since the exhibit's been built. I'm not sure if you have you, you've been to Indy, correct? I've been to Indy. I was there last. I want to say September. Oh, right. So, about so you would have seen it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You would have seen it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's incredible. Um, yeah, it's a great exhibit, um, and they have a lot of space inside. So it's 
They're very, I think they're very happy. And I will say the first day that they went outside, they were terrified. Oh, wow. They, it took them quite some time to get used to going outside because I think where they were before, it was a lot smaller um, of outside space. So when they saw the exhibit, they just, they didn't know what to do. It was, but it's been really, really cool um, working with them and, and seeing how, how they've evolved from coming here with literally no shifting experience, no, pretty much not nothing. Um, and then seeing how they are now, they shift in and out like champs. They're so great. Um, and, and just seeing, yeah, how the social interactions have changed and evolved over time. And, um, I don't know, they're just, they're a handful, but they are amazing. <laughs> they're, we have 31 now. Wow. Um, we went from 29 to 31. Um, we had a couple babies a few years ago. So yeah, it's incredible. It's a lot. Yeah, oh, I, bet. <laughs> a lot. I bet it is <laughs> a lot of cleaning also. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious, mm-hmm. um, have you had a chance to do any research or studying into what macaques are like in the wild? And do you find that this population mm-hmm. exhibits any of the same behaviors or are they like they're almost their own thing because of their, their background? I would almost say that they're almost their own thing, but I think a lot of the older, I say older loosely because they're like seven or eight years old, which is not old, but in our population that we have. Um, they're a little bit older and when they came to us, they're, they're very hands off and a little bit more, they kind of do their own thing. They don't really want to interact with us too much, but the younger ones def. Oh my gosh. They are crazy. They play, they rough house, they wrestle. They, they definitely, I think would exhibit more of like normal behavior because they, I don't know, they, they grown up more with us where we just let them do what they want. They get to go outside. I'm not sure what the other facility was like for some of those older individuals. And maybe that's why they kind of are more hands off. They don't really want us touching them or interacting with them too much. Um, it's definitely more on their own terms, but the little ones, man, they come up to you right away. They'll try and steal mask right off my face. If I, <laughs> accidentally get close enough they'll they do they try and uh they'll stick their little hands in your pockets and try and steal stuff if you get too close or um we have these crates set up that are kind of outside of the holding like there's the mesh on the front and then you hook it up and um I can't tell you how many times I'll be standing at a door trying to shift and I feel like a little like tickle on my on my leg on my pant leg and they're like pulling on my pant leg. <laughs> I'm like, can you just, just stop trying to touch me? Like, I don't need you touching me. <laughs> um, so yeah, they're, I, I guess in terms of like their natural behaviors, you would see a lot of the, um, swimming obviously so again the younger ones you're going to see more of them swimming the older ones could care less really about getting too close to the water um 
they do a lot of grooming, which I know they would see that in the wild. They're very, very social animals. So they groom a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, but I, I really don't know in terms of like what you would see in the wild exactly what is parallel with how they are. Right. Makes sense. Here. Yeah. Cool. Well, I've loved hearing about all the primates, but there's one other thing I want to hit before um, we go to the, the end of the interview, which is that you mentioned that you've worked with koalas for a summer or a season. I did. I would love I to hear all about that. Um, okay. So San Diego is the only facility that can like bring koalas in and kind of breed them. And we had the opportunity of getting two of these koalas for a summer. Uh, we had koalas named Milo and Thackeray. Uh, they were absolutely adorable. Thackeray um, is such a fancy name. I Thackeray. Like that. Yeah. With a T-H. Thackeray. Yeah, that's awesome. Thackeray. Right. Yeah. Thackeray. Uh, so we had two males. They had to be separate. Um, so they reconfigured one of our uh, bat buildings into a koala holding. Um, we had a couple keepers go out and learn all about the koalas before they came. And we actually had the opportunity to go to Columbus Zoo and learn for a day about koalas and how to care for them because there's very specific uh, rules that you have to follow and things that you need to document for koalas. Uh, such, per, as? such as? Um, first of all, you have to um, kind of gauge how much of the eucalyptus that they've eaten overnight. Um, they get fed, I want to say it was twice a day, um, and we had a cooler in the gardens that we kept all of this eucalyptus. So we had to haul eucalyptus twice a day down to the building. Um, we had to uh, count their stools. Oh. So I had to get on the ground and count their their stools, <laughs> uh, each one individually, and then weigh it. We had to document that. We had to document temperature and like all these different things uh, to make sure that they were being taken care of well, that they were eating. So I think the the stool count was kind of coincided with how much they ate to kind of gauge um, if they were eating enough. And then we also had to weigh them every single day. And then they also had to have uh, 15 minutes each of sunning time, like outside. We had skylights, but they didn't have a true outdoor exhibit when they were with us. So we had like a, a little space outside for them to get 15 minutes of sunlight every day, weather dependent. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a full day's work pretty much just with two koalas. So I can't imagine how San Diego does it with <laughs> however many they have. Cause it's, it's insane. Oh, so many it's nuts there. Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah, it was a very, very cool experience. And I, I fell in love with those koalas. Like I was so sad when they left and I actually had an opportunity in October to go back to San Diego. Uh, and I was able to hook up with the keeper that had traveled with them, uh, to Indy. Um, and so I got to see the koalas again. And I think I saw one of them was there. I can't remember which one. And the other was on loan to another facility. So it was really cool to be able to go and see where they came from and see the San Diego facility, uh, yeah, it's insane. Very cool. Insane All right. Cool. Well, you knew it was coming if you've listened to episodes. So I need a Rasafari mm -hmm. poop story. Hit me. Oh, I have a poop story for <laughs> you, actually. I've been thinking about this one a lot. And this is actually one that I, 
I tell interns and seasonals a lot. Um, but I was working in uh, a building. We had a building called the Winter Holding Building um, when I first started. And it was kind of a hodgepodge of animals. And um, that day I was working with the uh, red rough lemurs. And if anyone out there works with rough lemurs, you know their stools are not solid. So whenever I work with interns and seasonals, I very often try and remind them, watch where your lemurs are, because if they are above you, chances are bad things could happen. <laughs> and this specific day, I luckily it was at the end of the day and I was spreading their food inside and I mistakenly did not watch where I was placing food and where the rough lemurs were located. And I put my head right underneath a lemur <laughs> as it pooped. And I, I kid you not, it pooped right on my head. I had like a low ponytail that day and it pooped right at the base of my ponytail. <laughs> to make matters worse, um, three members of our executive team were about to come walking through the door to do a mock inspection for oh, no. like, we, we do like mock AZA inspections prior to our actual, um, AZA accreditation. Um, so I hurried over to the sink. I was trying so hard. Like I had my head in the sink, trying to get this poop out before they walked through the door. My head is under the water and in walks. <laughs> the three members from the executive team. <laughs> and I just turned and I was like, I'm so sorry. I just got pooped on. <laughs> and, and luckily one of them um, was a primate guy, um, like originally. So he, he came over and he actually helped me get <laughs> the rest of the poop out of my hair and told me that, believe it or not, this is not the first time that he has helped get poop out of someone's <laughs> hair. So I was at least thankful that he was there to, to help me and that it was at the end of the day and not the beginning of the day, because that would have been a very bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. That's so great. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I of really course. appreciate it. It was so much fun to virtually meet Heather and talk to her about her amazing primates. I'm actually really excited because I plan on being in Indianapolis soon and meeting Heather and some of her primate friends in person. I'm also going to be doing another interview there, which I will keep on the DL for now in case it doesn't work out, but which I am very excited about. You can check out the Indianapolis Zoo on Instagram at Indianapolis Zoo. And as always, don't forget to check out rossafari.com and at rossafari on Insta and Facebook. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, the credits. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo. <laughs>